1 Kings chapter 8. And we'll be reading from verses 54 through 61. This theme, making him known, the Lord laid that on my heart more than a year ago. And I began searching for a passage that would give us the kickstart we need for such an endeavor. Now, I don't generally do that with my sermon preparation, come up with a thought and then look for a passage. That's not generally what I do. But when you're dealing with a theme for the whole year, it works a little bit differently. Now, what I found was in this idea of making him known... The problem was not finding a passage. The problem was determining which passage. Because there's a lot of them in Scripture that point to our job, our instruction to make Christ known wherever we are. And the selection of this truth as our theme does not mean that this is a new endeavor, nor that it will cease in 2025. We've always sought to make him known, and we'll continue to try and make him known when we leave this year if if Jesus hasn't come back yet. But it is needful that we refocus our thinking on what we're going to call our prime directive, making him known. You know, when God led me to this passage that I was about to enter, I was unsure how this would be applicable to the local church. Leave it to me to act as though God doesn't know what he's doing. Because this is thought of, you know, five times in Scripture before he left this earth, Jesus gave us this directive to make him known. Five times. We call it the Great Commission. So let me begin with the narrative and, and give you some context before we read the actual passage. King David had a great burden, a consuming desire to build God a temple. Now, David and Solomon both recognized what building can hold God. It's not about God having a place to live. It's about a focal point that has some permanence where people came to worship. They all understood that that God transcends this creation. He's bigger than all of it. He's infinite and expansive, okay? But David had this great, great burden. He wanted to build something more permanent than the tent that God's glory had occupied since the days of Moses. In fact, at this point, the Ark of the Covenant was in a different place than the rest of the tabernacle. But a burden doesn't necessarily constitute a call. I've had to learn that in my own life. I have a deep burden for church planning. I love church planners, and I love the, the concept of a church reproducing itself. I want us to get more into that. I think God wants us to get more into that and reproducing ourselves in other places that need a gospel witness. And I was so burdened for this. There was a time in my life I really believed that I was going to be a church planner. And then God stepped in and said, no, that's not my will for you. I want you to pastor existing churches, in particular this one. And, uh, and you, can, you can help get other church planners where they need to go. So burden doesn't necessarily constitute a call. And the longer I'm at this, the more I realize I probably wouldn't have been very good at it anyway. 
God made it clear that my burden, while real and worthwhile, was not a call to direct involvement. And David desperately wanted to build God the temple. A desire that was no doubt pleasing to God, but God told him, it's not going to be you. It's going to be your son. So God instructed David to gather all that Solomon would need for this holy project. And David did so joyfully, even digging pretty deep into his own pockets and putting his own wealth into it. Sometime after his death, Solomon began construction on a hill that has some pretty profound significance. Now when Solomon took it, it had once belonged to a Jebusite named Aruna. It was a threshing floor. And David had, of course, purchased that threshing floor, had sacrificed and worshipped there, and set it aside. But long before that, a man and his son ascended that hill that at the time was known as Moriah. And it was there that Abraham, prepared to sacrifice his son, was held back by God himself. And God then gave Abraham a wonderful glimpse into his plan of redemption. John 8, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. On that mountain, Abraham, now releasing his son from that bondage on that altar, sees a ram caught in a thicket and was proven true when he said God would provide himself a lamb. And it is on this hill that he has organized, Solomon has a building force such as the world has never seen. 30,000 general laborers, 70,000 burden bearers, 80,000 hewers of wood, not including stonemason and specialized craftsmen. When the temple of Solomon was built, all of the stone cutting was done at the quarry because there was not to be the sound of metal tools at the site. It was thought to be that holy. And so the building came pretty much pre-made and they just had to put it together and their craftsmanship was just amazingly precise. And so they built the temple. This building is finally complete in the last portion of the Feast of Tabernacles, a time known as the end gathering. New furnishings are made for the temple. A new, well, actually several new menorah, tables of showbread and so forth, a brazen altar, the laver, all of that is new. The old furnishings are still around. They're moved into some storage somewhere in or around the temple, but now all that's new except one piece. They bring in the Ark of the Covenant. In that ark at this point is just the tables of stone. That's interesting. The manna and the rod of Aaron spoke to their wanderings and their rebellion. They're not in the ark anymore. What's God saying? Your wandering's over. Your rebellion's over. Now it's time to live according to my law. So even in that, there's significance. They bring the ark in. Sacrifices are readied, and they are 
they are made, some people believe sacrifices were coordinated to be made all over the country, but certainly all over Jerusalem. Sacrifices all over. And the priests carry the ark into this new holy of holies. They set it down between two gigantic cherubim that are carved from olive wood. They leave the ark and they return to the outside. And no sooner had they left the building than the Shekinah glory of God fills that place. Signifying his acceptance of the temple and of their worship. The priests couldn't come near the temple as Solomon stood before the people and offered a blessing, rehearsing, rehearsing the great movings of God. He then faced the temple and dropped to his knees and raised his hands in prayer. In this prayer, Solomon made seven distinct requests of God. Then, and this brings us to where our passage is, after this initial blessing and prayer, he stands to his feet again and faces the people and pronounces a second blessing. Now, it's important to remember that in this blessing, Solomon is reminding the people of Israel of the goodness of God and the traits of their creator for which they should be grateful. That's important to remember. He's reminding them of the goodness of God and the traits of their creator. And this blessing is our text today. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 54. And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication of the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. And he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord that had given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. <coughs> Excuse me. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us, as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us, nor forsake us. That he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. And let these my words, wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord, be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night, that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times, as the matter shall require. Now I want to focus on verse 60 in view of our theme. That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. Let's read that again. That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. The so what of this message is not hard to predict. Within this blessing, Solomon expresses the purpose of all this pageantry and display. The gleaming white limestone, the cedar floors and walls covered with gold, the thousands of animals being sacrificed, the Shekinah glory emanating from the Holy of Holies. What is the point of it all? That all the people of the earth may know 
that the Lord is God and that there is none else. What's our so what? Everything identified with Fellowship Baptist Church, our preaching ministry, our small groups and Sunday school department, our discipleship, our musicians and singers, our choir, our children's church, our student ministry, our nursery care, Granite Christian Academy, our outreach, our benevolence, our media ministry, our counseling ministry, our transportation availability, the facilities, all of it exists with one prime directive in mind, and that is this that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. And so what we'd like to do this morning and tonight in this passage is spend some time on this thought. And for this morning, we'd like to take some time and make much of God, Jehovah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And we'll title this today, the God of this ministry. The God of this ministry. And so, Father, would you help us as we seek your face today? We desperately need your help. We desperately need your touch. I sure do. And more than anything else, may we make much of our God in this place. May there be no uncertain sound and no unclear colors as to who we serve, who he is, what he can do. Help me as I preach this message. May I do it in the way that most pleases you. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now remember... That in this blessing, Solomon is reminding the Israelites of the goodness of God and the traits of their creator for which they should be grateful. And that's what we're intending to do as well. So let's begin. The God of this ministry, the ministry of Fellowship Baptist Church and everything that touches it, the God of this ministry is an invariable God. He is an invariable God. Now, what do I mean by that? Look at verse number 56. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. God made a promise. And what was the promise that, that Solomon's talking about right here? The promise is rest. You see, the Israelites began as a nomadic people. Abraham wandered, Isaac wandered, Jacob wandered. In fact, Abraham, to whom God made this great promise that his, his seed would be like the, sea, the, the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky, the only piece of a, a property that Abraham ever owned was where he buried his wife. That was it. Everything else, he walked by faith, even though God said, Abraham, it's all yours from Dan to Beersheba. It's all yours. And he made a promise that one day the people would rest. He made the same promise to Isaac. He made the same promise to Jacob. He made the same promise to Moses. He said he made the same promise to Joshua. And it was in Joshua's time that they did enter into the promised land. But even once they entered, they still had, they still had fights to fight and battles to, to win. And so God made the same promise to David. And now he's made the same promise to Solomon. He would reaffirm that promise to Isaiah in view of the captivity. You see, when God makes a promise, he doesn't vary. Right. 
He doesn't change his mind about it. He doesn't move. He is invariable. Can I remind you that at least in this context, he's made the same promise to us? Now, we don't, we're not, as the church, we're not obliged to take any land in Israel. It's not ours. I'll tell you what he did tell you. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. Can I tell you that the promise that he made to us is as invariable as the promise he made to Moses, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joshua, to David, to Solomon, to Isaiah. We serve a God who keeps his promises. Let me say that again. We serve a God who keeps his promises. Sometimes I'm tempted to think that this whole thing just isn't getting it done. But then I'm reminded, no, God made me a promise. The Lord is good. It's the Lord who give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. You say, how do I know I'm going to heaven? Because God keeps his promises. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. How do I know he's going to get me through this financial difficulty? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Pick a promise. He's kept it or is keeping it right now. Every one of them. Because the God of this ministry, the God of Fellowship Baptist Church, the God of this pastor, the God of this congregation is an invariable God. That never changes. Oh, I change him all the time. I, I, vary, I vary all the time. But God is invariable. Amen. And Solomon's bearing witness to that truth that God keeps his promises. Every good gift and every perfect gift, James told us, is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Thomas Chisholm put it this way. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. All thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Oh, you ever put your trust in somebody that changed? You ever put your trust in a situation that shifted? Aren't you glad that the God of this ministry, the God that you serve, the God that I serve, is an invariable God? Let's read that verse again. I love the way Solomon puts it. He says this, There hath not failed one word of all his good promise. Not one word. The God of this ministry is an invariable God. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You can bank on every Bible promise made to you by your invariable God. Number two, the God of this ministry is an immediate God. What do I mean by that? Immediate in this context means there's nothing between us and him. If somebody is your immediate family, there's no generations there. It's, you're, you're as close as you can be as a family, fathers and children, mothers and children. Immediate family. God's an immediate God. Look at verse 57. The Lord our God be with us, 
as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. Nothing between us and God. He was always there for the fathers that preceded Solomon. And Solomon banked on the same attention. What's Solomon saying? He was there for my daddy. He'll be there for me. He's thinking of his great-great-grandmama, Ruth. He was there for her. He'll be there for me. But what do we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency to think that God somehow works differently with us than he did previous generations. I've heard it here many times. Oh, preacher, I sure would love to get a hold of whatever we had back in the 60s, back in the 70s, back in the 80s. Boy, I tell you, we had some meetings back then. And thank the Lord for those meetings. But can I remind you that God is no less interested in us today than he was that generation. He's just as immediate today as he was then. We can have it again. You know, the problem is we're not as immediate to him as he is to us. The problem's in our hands, not his. Solomon said he was there for daddy. He was there for granddaddy. He'll be there for me. God's made a promise to the church, hasn't he? Just as sure as the day it was penned. Do you remember what Jesus said in that first occasion of the Great Commission? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded thee. And lo, I am with thee alway, even to the end of the world. Amen. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that uh, he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hmm. We look around, we look at politics, we look at the culture. Where is God in all of this? I'll tell you where he is. He's right here. Because we serve and the God of this ministry is an immediate God. You know what else? He's an invariable God. He's an immediate God. The God of this ministry is an influencing God. Verse 58 is an interesting verse to me. They all are. That he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded of our fathers. In verse 58, we are instructed to, quote, walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. That's the instruction. How? How can we do this with any consistency given our sinful nature? Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. But when a person gets saved, they inherit a new nature that has been quickened by God himself. Ephesians chapter 2 teaches this. 
It's been made alive by God himself. And the key word in this verse, in verse 58, is this, that he may incline our hearts. That word incline is so important. Because that word incline means to bend or to turn. And so when you get saved, as you submit to him, God begins to bend, to turn your hearts towards those things which please him. So once you're saved and the spirit of God is alive in you, whose responsibility is it to make you more like Jesus? Yours or his? Now, I'm not saying that we don't try to do right. I'm not saying that we just sit back and every time we do wrong, we blame it on God. That's not what I'm saying. And you know, I don't believe that. But we've got Christians that are doing everything they can to check off their list and live up to this standard. And then they get frustrated when they don't get any closer to being like Jesus because they're trying to do a work that only God can do. It is God who inclines our hearts towards him, not us. And if you're saved today, you're going to find that the Holy Spirit starts bending you, starts turning you, inclining you towards things that please God. And friend, if you can sit here and say, well, I've never been inclined toward anything that pleases God, then I'm pretty confident you need to look at your salvation. Because if you're saved, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be sinless. You're going to mess up. I get all of that. But there's going to be something in you that wants what God wants, that wants to know him more, that wants to love him more deeply, that wants to serve him more profoundly. There's going to be something in you that is inclined towards the things of God. Because God is an influencing God. Stop trying to reform yourself. Get in the book, get on your knees, and just yield to the Holy Spirit and let him influence you where you need to go. I found in my own life and time where I don't allow God to rule. You know what he does? He overrules. And I benefit from that influence of God. We serve an invariable God. We serve an immediate God. We serve an influencing God. And then lastly... We serve an intentional God. Nothing about God is haphazard or accidental. Nothing. Have you ever been in service to God and thought that everything around you was chaos? Well, God has no part in any of that. God doesn't deal in chaos. God is a God of order. And God is in complete control. And Solomon makes an interesting point in verse 59. And let these my words, wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord. So what are the words of supplication? What would we call that? Solomon's prayer, right? These words of supplication, his prayer. And let these my words, wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord, be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night. Watch carefully. That he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter shall require. Who does the maintaining? Solomon or God? God. Let's read it again. Verse 59, let these these words wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter 
shall require. Solomon is saying essentially that it is not his responsibility to maintain God's attention. Why? Because God's attentive to our life on his own. We have this idea that when we pray, we've got to get his attention and we've got to conquer his reluctance. No, God is an intentional God. And with that intention comes attention. God does everything on purpose, and he is completely locked in to every need of your life. Now, as a parent, I can't always say that. I wish I could. But there have been many times that my kids have been asking me about something for a while, and my wife finally steps in and says, would you please pay attention? And I file that away for when she doesn't either. And I remind her of that. Can I just tell you, and I don't mean to be irreverent, there is never a time that you go to God and say, Father, 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 over here, Father. No. The moment a child of God calls his name, you have his undivided attention. Because God is an intentional God. And it is not your responsibility to keep your needs before God. God keeps your needs before himself. Now, I'm not saying that you pray about it once and let it go. No, you keep praying about it because prayer is more for us than it is for God. Okay. But Solomon is relying on the truth that God maintains his own attention to our matters. Our prayers and requests are ever at the forefront of God's thinking. Every way in which he touches our lives is fully intentional. And not only that, it's fully benevolent. God never does anything to harm us. It sometimes hurts us, but it never harms us. What did Jesus say in Matthew 10? Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear you not, therefore. You are more value than the many sparrows. Paul put it this way. Philippians 2.13, for it is God which worketh in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is intent on bringing about his good pleasure in your life. That is his full focus. We serve an invariable God. The God of this ministry is an immediate God. He's an influencing God. And he's an intentional God. So what? What do we do with that? Remember, we started this out with saying that everything about this ministry exists to make him known. This is something I've got to be super careful about. If I'm not careful, it becomes about more people knowing who I am. And there are some preachers, I'm sorry to say, that they've built little empires and they've slapped their name on everything. And you can't you can't see where their ministry ends and the church actually begins. And I think that's a dangerous thing from both directions. 
The fact is, if God takes me out of here today, this ministry is meant to go on. Pastors are sheepdogs. They're lighthouse keepers. They come and go. It's the church that keeps going triumphant. I want our reputation and our testimony in this community and beyond to be sterling, and I want people to think a lot of me. I want people to think a lot of Granite. I want people to think a lot of our choir. I want people to think a lot of our children's ministries. I want people to think a lot of our, 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 our student ministries and, and all of that. I, that that's, that's all fine and good. But if everybody's talking about what a great school we have, and everybody's talking about, man, he's a good preacher. If everybody's talking about, boy, I tell you, their choir, they're just something. If everybody's talking about, man, they've got, they've got one of the, the best discipleship programs around. They've got some tremendous children's ministries. That's, that's all great. But if that's what you hear from people, and nobody ever brings up, I'm going to tell you something. They make much of the Lord. There's not a better place anywhere for you to get introduced to the God of the Bible than Fellowship Baptist Church. If that's never on anybody's mind, then we've missed it. Everything must point to Jesus. And we're going to look for ways this year, maybe a little outside of the box, to make him known. Oh, Brother Davies, he got something laid on him at a meeting the other day. Somebody said he ought to do a podcast. And I thought, you know, that's a good idea. Hmm. So let's say we get a good podcast together. What's the goal? It's not so people can say, boy, I tell you, he does a good pod. No, that podcast introduced people to Jesus. I don't know if we will or we won't. I'm just saying, we'll see. If he has his way, probably not. But... <clears throat> Today, the choir sang one of my favorite songs. And our choir, I'd put them up against anybody. I love our choir. But what makes them so special? They pointed us to Jesus. You know? As much as I want the kids in Granite to academically succeed, if we don't point anybody to Jesus, then we might as well save the power. Everything needs to point to Jesus to make him known. So what do we do? Where's our starting point? Where do we begin? Verse 61. Let your heart, therefore, that word therefore tells us in light of everything we've just talked about. Let your heart, therefore, be perfect not sinless, it means mature, growing. Let your heart, therefore, be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. What's he saying? Where do we begin in this effort that all the world, all the earth know him? Be fully committed to growth and obedience. The first step of making him known is for every Christian, every family, and this congregation to be fully committed that in 2024, I intend to obey him and I intend to grow. And that is the first, perhaps greatest step 
to making the God of this ministry known. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please.